0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. A word of warning. This podcast
1: contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I'm joined by Yentel. Yentl is from Belgium and she's just recently moved to the United States and is currently living in San Diego. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So you were in Belgium. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where, where you grew up. Um, what was life like for you, for young you?
2: Well, I grew up in tiny, tiny Belgium. Uh, the Flemish part also a question a lot of people ask me all the time no I do not speak French um, how did I grow up it's been tough <laughs> I grew up in a in a foster family till I was 13 then my grandparents took over um, yeah they didn't do a good job I think um, and I Kind of ran away from home when I was 20, 21. Um, yeah, living my life ever since.
1: <laughs> being, like, independent and and stuff now. So being able to, like, go, not fuck it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just do whatever I want to do and
1: yeah. go wherever I want to go. I love it. What did Young You do for fun? Um I had a horse. <laughs> did a
2: lot of horse riding. Um I my best friend she lived two houses away from me so we did all these ridiculous things like um water balloon water <laughs> water balloon fights. Um yeah, it was pretty fun growing up with her next to me. Uh she's still one of my best friends.
1: I love that because, um, as well, I guess I never grew up around horses, but I have some friends who are obsessed with horses, but it's the therapy kind of aspect of a horse that they talk about. You've got this giant being in front of you that you can literally just brush sometimes and talk to them. And, you know, that it's, I've never even thought about going really and doing it myself. And, and Charlotte, who was on, I think, episode five of this podcast talked a lot about equine therapy. Um, but it's just crazy I think how much of an impact a horse can have and even you're remembering it now smiling and remembering how wonderful that time was
2: they're wonderful they're like Big Giants they have a lot of power, but they choose not to harm us, and that is what's being so wonderful about a horse, yeah,
1: and I guess I'm so sorry not to hear that you you had to go through this foster system and situation and live with your grandparents who didn't particularly do a good job. What was that like, I guess, entering your young teenage years and because you're quite young now as well like yeah. what's it been like for you trying to to foster an environment of of power for yourself?
2: Well, it made me grow up very fast. Uh, I started working student jobs, like multiple student jobs when I was 15, just to provide for myself because I did live with them, but it's not that They like, provide me with any stuff. They paid for my school. Um, that's about it. There was dinner every night. But other than that, like yeah. if I wanted to have new shampoo, I had to buy it myself ever since I was 15. Um, so yeah, that was pretty tough but made me very independent now so
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think you can tell that with with you just being like no nope, fuck it I'm moving to America um and just hopping up and being able to be independent and to to make these choices for yourself with what you want I think you can see that there's um there's an adult and a grown-up and just somebody who's also like an inner child like keen on adventure inside of you
2: <laughs> every day is an adventure here Um, but yeah, 10 months ago, I just sold everything and moved out. I needed a new adventure.
1: And then the whole. What preceded you leaving as well is what we're here to talk about. Um, so you do have a story where, where were you when, when this happened to you?
2: Um, so I just broke up with my ex. Uh, We were together for four years. Um, after we broke up, I went to Bali, my first solo trip. Was it for three weeks three weeks and a half amazing like everybody please go on a solo trip you really find yourself and you meet your yourself it was amazing met a lot of um people and i came back and the weekend i think it was a weekend after i got back i went out with my friends um to a bar um like 30 minutes away from my, where I used to live they pick me up because usually I'm the one driving I don't really drink I don't need a drink to have fun or to dance and my friends do but he decided to drive so I was like yeah fun so let's, yeah. let's do this <laughs> I'm excited yeah. Um, so yeah I had a few drinks um, and I, I'm not that flirty person to, like, towards guys definitely know when I'm going out but the Barman, (laughs) like the bar, the guy behind the bar. He was, I don't know, he was there and (laughs) I saw him. So I started flirting with him and and just talking and he gave me another drink. Um yeah, that's where I
1: was in a bar and yeah. And was that in Belgium, sorry, or was that in Bali? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was back in Belgium. Yeah. So then you're you're with this your friends and stuff, and then there's this kind of cute guy, you're getting attention from him. And I think that's something as well that people don't understand is like it feels good to get attention. Like you don't have to go out and be a flirt and stuff, but if someone does pay you attention like that, it can feel really nice, especially if they don't come across as creepy. Like. They're just like, tell me about yourself or they ask you these questions or they they might compliment you in a non-creepy way. And you're like, oh, I feel beautiful about myself. Thank you. It's a nice feeling.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. I never, I mean, he never had bad intentions anyway, but his friend was also there. And at a certain point, uh, my best friend I was going out with, I think he noticed I was getting tipsy or drunk. So I was pouring me water. But then the barman, his friend, uh, started giving me free shots. But I was already tipsy. I was like enjoying the party, dancing around. I was like, "Yeah, shot, why not?" So I took it, uh, went back to my friends, and then I felt really sick. All of a sudden, it hit me. I went to the to the restroom, and I got out. And the bar, like the the guy behind the bar, he noticed I wasn't feeling very well, and he said, "Well." come to my place, uh, just like get new clothes because I spilled all over myself. Um, and we come back. I live in the street of the bar, like two houses away. So of course I was like still in a happy, happy mood, but not feeling very well. So we went to his apartment. Um, I got changed and I literally fell asleep. I fell asleep in his bed. Um, he just, Laid next to me, like he never made a move on me, and I woke up <laughs> throwing up all over his bed, all over his room, and I felt so bad. Like I was still pretty drunk, um, and he brought me to the shower. He took care of me, cleaned everything up. I got out of the shower, we went back to bed because I told my friends that I was. Got to stay here. Like I had texted him, like, yeah, I'm staying here. I'm fine. Like, don't wait for me. Don't worry. So yeah, I fell asleep, and the next thing I remember is his friend, the bar guy's friend, coming in the room, smashing the door open, um, like turning on the lights, and saying, "Well, if you're not gonna fuck this girl, then better go back to work. Like, I'm not gonna take over your shift if you're not even gonna like have sex with this girl." Um, I was still drunk. I woke up, so I was very dizzy. You know, like, oh, what's going on? Like, okay. Um, So that guy went back to work. He told me that I could stay there, just, like, sleep it off. He closed the door, turned on the light, went back to work. And the next thing I remember is his friend being on top of me. Um, But, yeah, I, I mean... I was sleeping when he decided to, I don't know, make a move on me. And, and I was drunk. And, and I, I don't even remember if I tried to push him off me because I was sleeping on my, on my belly. So he was I mean, on my back. Um, I was naked. And I do remember that I, I screamed stop, but he didn't stop. It took him for me to start throwing up again to stop. And then he he ran away. He, like, left me behind in my own vomit again. Um,
1: Yeah. That's just disgusting. And I think I can hear in what you're saying as well, like, you know, you're trying to say I didn't, you know, I didn't consent. You're trying to prove that you didn't, but I think if if you take all of that away anyway, you're, you're somebody who's unconscious, who's very sick on a, on a bed, you know, what normal person, not that, not that they wouldn't find you attractive, but not what normal person would say, this is the scenario I want to enter sex with or intimacy or a pleasure situation with somebody that's, it's not by the inherent nature of the situation anyway, consent, because you can't consent because you're unconscious. It's not for you to wake up and then say, I don't consent to this happening. It's for you, for nobody to touch you when you're asleep or unconscious because you've consumed too much alcohol or because you didn't feel well. It doesn't matter. Like I think it just, it hits home sometimes, right? That how, so even no matter how much we know it's not our fault, that we know that we have to explain it in a certain way so that people don't ask us if we didn't say those things.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't give any consent. I was drunk and asleep. And the next thing I remember is him being on top of me and me being naked. And and I don't know. I don't know how long it took him, how long he was there. Everything happened in a second, but I know it wasn't a second. He just left me there behind. And I know that I went to the restroom again, started crying. Um, There wasn't much I could do. So I texted my friend or I, I don't remember texting my friend. It was the day after that I saw the message that I texted him like help. But other than that, I... I passed out again, I guess. I just fell asleep again. And then in the morning, I woke up next to the bar guy. And he looked at me. He's like, are you okay? I was like, I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. Because I remember that there was a a series on Netflix. I don't know what it's called. But it was about a girl telling a story about being raped, but nobody believed her. And it was yeah, literally- days before it happened to me and I thought I made it up I literally thought I made it up but then the bar guy told me well my friend came back to the bar and said you went to his room and said you wanted to have sex with him and I started thinking by myself like you know how you left me like I was drunk I was sick I was also in a str- uh, like a strange house. Like, how would I know where he's, he's sleeping? Um, and then his friend also told him that I was, I don't know, like, tickling his feet or something. And I told my best friend the story. And the first thing she said like, was, you hate feet. Like, why would you do something like that? And it's true. <laughs> Thinking about feet makes me... Sick already. Like, I would never do that. Um, But that is a story he told all over the bar after coming back
1: from me. It's almost like something that they try to say, or he's tried to say is obscure. So it makes it sound more believable. Like, if I make this kind of thing up, like if I just say she just walked into my bed, like, you know, it kind of is just like, oh, come on. It doesn't make a big deal, but it's just like, yeah, man, like she was just tickling my feet. You know, it's kind of funny. It makes you look like a little bit loony and crazy, but also it's so obscure you kind of assume it's correct. You don't, yeah. you don't second guess it. Like, are you sure she was tickling your feet? You don't like question either. So it's a, it's almost a smart way for him to kind of start building his backstory. But
2: after that bar guy told me that his friend went back to the bar to to tell that story. And then he said, well, when I came into the room, the lights were on, the door was open. And that's when I was like, yeah, I didn't make this up. This really happened. Um, So that bar guy dropped me off home. I don't even know if I showered. I don't remember. I just don't remember. I know I put on other clothes. And I was too late to go watch my godchild. So I just jumped in the car and looked after my baby godchild, who was a year old, year and a half, um, all day. And then I got home, I think around 5, 5.30 p.m. And I told my best friend, and she said, you're gonna go to the police, right? And I was I felt bad for that guy. I was like, yeah, but I don't want him to go to jail. like." I don't know what's going to happen to him. And she said, I'm going to be at the police station in 30 minutes. I see you there. And if she wouldn't have done that, I don't think I would have gone to the police
1: to file a report because I felt bad for that guy. It is. It's one of those things where, you know, even through my situation as well, I felt guilty. I felt guilty for the repercussions that it had on my abuser's family because he ended up going to jail. I felt bad for taking their father away from them. I felt almost like as well, like it wasn't bad enough. And I kept saying to myself, like, it wasn't, I knew how bad it was and I knew that it was affecting me so badly, but I was also telling myself kind of get over it. It wasn't that bad. That was what for the first few years specifically, that was what my internal monologue was saying, like, get over it. You're, you don't remember all of it. I'd tell myself that because I was also intoxicated and as my memory would kind of come back about different things, I'd be like, it wasn't, I'd be telling myself these things. And I know that that affected me more long-term because you've kind of started to hate yourself almost in some ways for you blame yourself and people doesn't matter how much they say, it's not your fault. You you still do that because it's just the hardest situation to be in. But I guess having somebody like a friend, believe you in the first instance is so important because it grounds you in a way as well, that you know that they believe you and that what you're telling them right now is meaningful. That's important too. My best
2: friend, she believed me immediately. And then I also told my ex-boyfriend, we we still have a really good connection. I can tell him everything. And he believed me. And then the friends who were there that night, they believed me and they were just adding to the story. Like, yeah, I saw him giving you multiple drinks and it looked like he was trying to get you sick or trying to get you really drunk. Um, So, yeah, that all added a few weeks or a few days after it happened. They all added to the story. And I started to believe myself that it happened. That was the hardest like believing that it really happened because then I made a complaint or like filed a report at the police, but did it happen? Did it not happen? What's, what is going to happen? It was terrible. Yeah.
1: So what was your experience like once you're, so you met your friend at the police station. Um, What was that experience like for you um, going to the police in Belgium?
2: We were at the front desk and we have to tell like why we were there And I was so nervous, so I was laughing. And I remember that woman behind the desk saying, well, if you're gonna be laughing, this is not like a playground, then just leave. And my friend, she said, well, we are here because she got raped. And that woman got so serious immediately. She got her colleagues in and they helped us out immediately. Um, Those colleagues were all male. And I had to tell my story three or four times, and then they were recording my story, and then I had to tell my story to another person and The more I started telling that story, the more I felt ashamed like Ah, yeah, well, this happened, but I did go home with a guy. I decided to go home with a guy and ended up in his bed. I mean he never tried anything on me or never nothing happened but Yeah. I felt so ashamed.
1: Yeah. But as well, I think it's like you had trust in that person and that person didn't hurt you. Another person that was on the premises did. And I hate this victim blaming situation. I mean, there are certain scenarios where police have to ask certain questions and I understand that. So like if you were to ask a victim or survivor, how much did you have to drink? That might be important for your well being That might be important to build the story. You don't just leave that out. You know, they were at a bar, leave out the bit about drinking. Then they were like, it builds context. I understand you have to ask those questions, but it's how you ask those questions as well. It's not like, okay. And and how many drinks did you think that you had instead of, well, how many drinks did you have? So it's one's accusatory and one's not. And I think by having people ask questions or ask about your story in a certain way, details are fine but it's how they're asked as well. And it's almost like I imagine with more than one person asking you the same fucking questions over and over again, you're starting to doubt yourself. And I'm sure that they're asking you to reiterate things or confirm things along the way as well, which is just belittling. I empathise with that a lot. And I don't, the system needs to change. I mean, you don't need to say it four, three or four times to three or four different police officers on that night. That doesn't need to happen.
2: No, because I remember they recorded me, but yeah. Then another person was coming in and then they send us to the waiting room. And I think we waited three hours. We had to wait for a special police force. I don't know if if I say it right. that had to take us to the hospital um, to get a kit done on me. And it took three hours sitting in the waiting room, people coming in, people coming out. I didn't eat. Uh, we weren't allowed to leave. It was, it, it felt like hours, hours. Um, and then we stopped at my house first because I changed clothes, but I didn't wash them yet. So we had to go pick them up, put them in those paper bags, all separate. Um, and then We went to the hospital, but there we had to wait for another special police person who brought the kid in because he had to go get it from a certain place to bring it in. But they, yeah, everything went so fast at that point. We went into the hospital. They helped us immediately. So they saw me and my friend going in with three police officers. We didn't even have to wait in a... In the waiting room, they just straight up brought us to the maternity. Uh, we're a giant.
1: <laughs> Sorry, how do I, pronounce... I don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> <L-B>. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, obese. <laughs> Obstetrics and gynecology. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's such
2: a hard work. So no, I I remember we got up to the maternity and we came together with a nurse and then I was alone in a room with them, but they were wonderful. They didn't ask me any questions. They just told me what they were going to do. So I had to remove my clothes again, put on special gear from out of that box. And then... Every step they were going to do, she explained it to me. Like, we're going to draw some blood. And this is the reason. Um, we're going to cut off your hair. And this is the reason why. If there is one of the tests that you don't want to do, you don't have to. Uh, so they were wonderful. I studied with So I've been helping out with taking a kid from another person who got raped. And getting the kid done on yourself is it's weird. It's yeah. different.
1: Yeah. I I had the same thing. And I always say like my experience getting the kit done was, it wasn't re-victimizing for me. It was hard. It was traumatic, but the nurse or doctor, I don't remember who she was, who did it. She was wonderful. She made me feel as comfortable as I possibly could in that situation. Like she, it wasn't as bad as I guess a lot of people's experiences were. And I think that's important as well. Like it sounds like yours wasn't a hugely traumatic thing. It wasn't ideal. We don't want to be there, but it was as good as it possibly could be. Like you felt comfortable. And I think the important part as well is asking for consent. They do that each time and it can be a bit annoying. Like, and I'm going to swab your cheek now. Do you consent (laughs) or something? And you're just like, Yes. I said, yes. (laughs) It gives you the power back though. And I think it's, for me, it was also a weirdly empowering situation. Although you feel fucking shit and it's awful and degrading in a way for me, it wasn't, I I'm very grateful that I had that, that woman who was there, who did that test on me that day, because she, you know, you can very easily see how that could turn into something traumatic for someone.
2: Yeah, definitely. No, it wasn't really traumatic. It was, I was still not really there so it was just happening and it was a few hours later the only thing I was I I was worried was like did I shower I don't remember I I, things like that were crossing my mind like are they gonna find things uh or am I still making this up Uh, that those were the questions crossing my mind yeah selling a little or a lot
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb dot com slash host.
1: I completely understand that. Um, so, what was was it like when you went home afterwards? What would you, what did you feel like? Um,
2: I think it was two two thirty a.m. in the night. I had to work the other day actually. Um, Sorry, my best friend. She dropped me off. She asked if I was okay. And I remember getting into my apartment and I just had a puppy like for two months, all hyper and excited to see me. And I picked her up and was sitting on my couch with my dog on my lap. And I was like, I don't want to be here. And I texted one of my other good friends what happened to see if he was awake. Uh, I called him and then I drove up to him. Uh, I didn't want to be alone and, and I trusted him. Um, and I got got there. He made me some food. I think I showered 30 minutes, 30 minutes an hour. Um, and I fell asleep on the couch
1: for hours. I really yeah. feel that. It is. It's exhausting, but I think it's just the the power of support as well. So, you know, a lot of people even have said, or ask me, what do I say to somebody who's going through this? And you go, you know, in that, what you've just said, it's not what he did or didn't say. He provided a safe space for you to feel, feel things and be whatever you needed to be in that moment. And that's just so important.
2: He didn't ask me any questions. He just let me do my thing and made me food. And yeah, he was definitely there for me helped me through that first night i i didn't want to be alone i couldn't so i picked up my dog and (laughs) drove to his place but she was still a puppy (laughs) i remember her peeing everywhere and i mean oh no (laughs) she made it less like awkward in a different way like oh i'm sorry she peed on your carpet (laughs) so that (laughs) That was like a different awkward than just stepping into the house and be like, yeah, well, here I am. Take care
1: of me. Yeah.
2: (laughs) She did a good job.
1: (laughs) She created like a distraction. (laughs) Yeah, she did. She did. Love that. Um, So afterwards, like what, what was it like for you after you've done all of this in, in the months and, you know, I guess year or so afterwards, you've the report's been made the kit's been done you're trying to go back to live a life again um, what was that like for you
2: it was pretty hard because I a week before it happened I started a new job so I came back from Bali started a new job and so I was at that new job And within the first week, they were like, well, you seem distracted and you don't seem motivated. Do you really want to be here? And I didn't want to tell them what happened. So I tried my best to be motivated, but I was not. I was not anymore at that point. Um, So I was just trying to do my best. Uh, Went good for a few weeks. I also remember getting in contact with a psychologist from the police department. I went on that appointment. It was terrible. Uh, I went on one appointment, then I canceled. I, I couldn't do it. Uh, I, Yeah, it was weird stepping in there and them knowing the story. So I felt like they were judging or I don't know. It was it was different than going to a psychologist or a therapist who doesn't know your story. And you can start with telling your story instead of somebody who has your report right in front of him. And I, I don't know. I just tried to push it away, started dating immediately after um, trying to get people to like me, <laughs> to people to, to take care of me because I was not doing a good job taking care of myself. Um, I didn't show that to the world or to like my friends. Um, Nobody really knew what had happened. Not even my sister. I didn't tell her. Nobody knew, just a few friends. So I was just trying to live my life and then COVID happened. And that made everything worse. I was isolated. Um, I was in touch with the police a few times and then they told me, well, we didn't take DNA from him yet because of COVID and the labs are all busy with taking COVID tests. And I was, I was confused, like how, what has to happen before you guys do your job? Because I, it also took them six weeks before they took the sheets of the bed where it all happened because I told a bar guy to keep them took the police six weeks to go get them. took the police two months to get that guy in to make a report. I felt like they weren't taking it serious. And a year after, I went on a surf trip. I made a lot of friends. They were amazing. Um, They still are. And that's where I decided something has to change. Like, I need to leave. I can do this. I also lost my job because I wasn't motivated enough. And then Corona and yeah, I had to leave. Yeah. So everything and here I am because I thought I could start over. I was like, I'm going to a new country. I'm going to start over. I'm going to be there for at least two years. And now 10 months later, it all caught up on me. And yeah. I want to go home. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I just want to go home. Um, I'm so homesick, but yeah, I'm here now. And then I'm a fighter and I don't want to give up because if I go home, I feel like I failed.
1: It's a hard one as well, because you've still got this whole active investigation kind of happening back home and it's not acceptable that a sex offender is not prioritised. I understand that COVID is a pandemic and a worldwide one, but it's also this was a sex offence that was almost done in basically plain sight. People knew that you were with this person and they still acted, you know, with the audacity that they did. I just feel like it's it's clearly a marker for future violence. So there is public protection that comes into play that that the police have to take into consideration. Um. And, yeah, I completely understand what you mean by by giving up and going home. I remember one of my friends, actually, she moved to London before the pandemic and she'd said the same to me, like if she had a going-away party, everyone said goodbye, we're going to miss you so much, and and about a year in she was just like, I'm ready to come home. <laughs> and it's not failing. It's it's your motives, I think, changing and, and what you need changing and that will always keep evolving. And America is a fucking full-on place to live. You're not a failure in any way, but needing to, I guess, needing to fill this, fulfill something outside of being at home is also wonderfully important for you.
2: I'm, I'm just one of these people, when something ends or something doesn't go as planned, I run away. Yep. Usually before COVID, I took a trip, two, three days to calm down and be like, okay, let's start over but I couldn't, I couldn't because of COVID. And I did make a few travels after all of that happened, but that perfect, cleared my mind. and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm an au pair here in America to like give some yeah. information. So that means I can be here for a year and then I can extend another year. So I did. And... I remember going and all my friends were like, so how long are you going to stay? Like, are you coming back after a year? I was like, no, like I'm going to stay here for two years and then I'll find my way to stay. Like, I do not want to be in Belgium. Not at all. I'm not going to be homesick. Like, I can do this. And then about a month ago, I had a really bad breakup and he absolutely broke me. He broke me, and that is when I realized like I cannot move to the other side of the world and start all over if I'm still healing from something that that happened. Like I cannot run away, um, but here I am on the other yeah. side of the world. And I remember a week after I broke up, we we just started seeing each other, and I started crying at Whole Foods because I saw cheese and bread (laughs) and I realized like I'm not doing okay actually (laughs) but I had already extended so that means I'm here for another year I mean if if I really want to go I can go (laughs) but yeah it's San Diego (laughs) I don't want to leave San Diego I just I just want to hug my friends and family but because of visa issues, it's it's not gonna happen.
1: Yeah. So
2: I know if I go back and decide to end, I'm gonna be after four or five days. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I regret my decision. <laughs> so
1: that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm I love to get that. Them out. I'm trying to get them out here to San yeah. Diego. But yeah. So are you saying like that? You know, your breakup and everything kind of made you realize that you haven't healed from what happened to you and. And it's still affecting you in quite a large way.
2: It just made me realize that I've been dating to feel safe. What we want if we start dating somebody, that they take care of us and and make us feel safe. And I think I was looking for a safe environment that I missed when I was a baby and when I was a, a younger kid. And yeah, I really realized that after he brutally <laughs> broke up with me um,
1: yeah yeah i think that makes so much sense cuz i was i was doing the same thing you feel you know being alone is really hard
2: people don't travel solo to Be alone, people, or at least I don't. I travel solo to meet new people, and just sorry, friends, they don't want to do what I want to do. So, if I end up in a hostel and I meet new people, and they were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go on this trip, you can join," I can join when if I want to. If I don't want to join, then I don't, and then I have other things I can do if you're going on a trip with friends it always ends up in a fight like I want to do this I want to no no makes me feel sick thinking about it that yeah. is why I travel so but not to be alone and go to the beach and sit there like yeah
1: so you're living there now and, and it sounds like you're on a like it sounds like you're in an okay place though. So like you want to go home but you're you've realized that you've got some work to do and it sounds like you're really knuckling down with that work on yourself, what's the current state of the investigation at home?
2: So they did uh, reach out to me a couple of months ago that they are taking it to court. Uh, They don't have a lot of physical evidence, but they believe me um, because of the story he told and changed and the texts I have sending help and yeah some of my friends they got in told a story and they believe my story that's why they are taking it to court but they don't have a date yet of when it will happen so that is what I'm waiting for now I do want to be there but it's not possible because of visa issues so I cannot leave America for a whole year now but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm waiting. I I don't know what I want to get out of court. Maybe him to apologize. I, I don't know. Because he didn't have any chance to reach out to me. I got home, looked him up, blocked him everywhere. Yeah. Um, everywhere on social media. Uh, he also has his own company. I blocked it. So he couldn't reach out to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's also realizing that a conviction isn't what every survivor wants. And you know, must feels in some way validating that it's made it and the police believe you. That's a that's a wonderful thing that that they do. And I, I, I think yes. we shouldn't be surprised by that. But when it does happen, it is good. Um but I think also acknowledging that what your goals are might not be a conviction. I don't want
2: your- him to go to jail. Um I just want him to be sorry and yeah. don't lie
1: about it because you did it. Don't lie about it.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel you on that. In it, don't fight me on it. Don't try and manipulate a situation. If you were to just apologize and say that you acknowledge what you did and at least have that on his record, so that he doesn't do it to anybody else, or that if he was to, that that would be there. But it's it's that fight that you don't need. You almost need it as like a puzzle piece to say, see, I fucking told you, and he's just admitted it, so thank you for listening.
2: Yes, exactly. And I lost my fucking job because of that guy. I had a really good job, and I just lost my job because of that guy. And now I'm on the other side of the world missing cheese and bread because he's being an asshole and he doesn't want to like be like, yeah, I did it. That will make things so much easier. He's just fighting it. He's denying, um, certain tests. He's denying everything. He's
1: just being an asshole. It's just fucking (laughs) ridiculous. Yeah. And I get like people would want to save their own ass, but it's, it's just ridiculous. And, And I feel you and his conviction might not be a jail sentence but it will be a mark on his character and even having to go to, to court on this I think is important and people understanding that you know even this guy who seems nice in a bar who comes back and talks about you know a girl in this situation it's you know asking them the questions look at your own environment this 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 idea that it's the, the guy down the dark alley needs to get out of our heads the the realization that any man or, or woman but anyone can be a perpetrator and that's fucking terrifying
2: yeah i never thought it would happen to me but i think everybody thinks that or wishes that for himself but he did and i felt i don't yeah it was weird because i never drink and then that night i decided to drink and It happened
1: to me. Yeah. And it's like people say in a way like, you know, don't drink alcohol. It'll stop people from doing this. And it's just like seeing somebody intoxicated should be a deterrent for somebody. Like seeing somebody who is vulnerable should be a deterrent. The fact that we just widely accept that it isn't is scary.
2: It's not that I was in the bar acting very drunk and unable to defend myself i was laying in a different room that was locked that made it so much worse in my in my eyes like yeah he 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 decided to get that bar guy out of that room and then come back and do that to me it was not that i was looking like an easy person to like get onto I was sleeping and intoxicated in somebody else's room so he made the decision to do that to me
1: yeah and I think that's it though it's like even if you are intoxicated in a bar you you're not asking to be assaulted but the audacity I think that kind of comes with being unconscious it shows another level of sadistic nature of somebody. Like no, not many people can imagine walking into a dark room and seeing somebody passed out and thinking, huh, that I might just try and have sex with them. That's not something that comes across, you know, it's not a misunderstanding. It's not being in a bar, you're both drunk. Um, and, each other and- yeah, it's not, um, it's not, there's no potential there for misunderstanding because you weren't awake. So he knew what he was doing and that's what's really, really, sad I think and for you also to know that and have that feeling and I think one thing I'm grateful for you though is that you found power in your story and you know now that you weren't making it up and you know that it was bad enough
2: yes and I just think things have to change because I'm so grateful for my best friend who took me out and made me go to the police but so many people out there they don't and yeah, things have to change. It's all over the world. Like I've been listening to, to your podcasts and it's the same story everywhere. It, it happens daily. And just have to stop. <laughs> stop.
1: Yeah. yeah. Treat women with as equals. And I think oh, I always say it comes back to gender equality and it is because a man could be passed out on my couch and he's got nothing to be afraid of. And oh, no. You know?
2: <laughs> not at all. No, maybe I'll go put a blanket over him and be like, you know, good night. No, not at all. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't I, I don't drink anymore as well. <laughs> I yeah. cannot. The smell of alcohol makes me sick. I I've, I've been drinking after it happened, but everything hit me so hard that I don't drink. I don't need it to have fun anyway, so, yeah. But it makes me feel safer. I decide what is going to happen and, <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys, but if I go out and they look at me, I give them the look from, like, don't even try. Don't you dare. Just stay away from
1: me, please. No. And it's sad that, like, it's not sad, I think, I like, power to you for making these choices that are empowering you. So you feel safe and not drinking that don't drink. But I think it's also sad that if you were – to want to have a couple of drinks that you might be stopped from doing that because of safety and that's that's a terrifying reality to be in that we're, we're changing our behaviour so much to feel more safe and, and it goes back to even in the UK at the moment where it's consistently being put on women for their own safety. So Sarah Everard was abducted and murdered and um, set on fire by a police officer who had falsely arrested her. And then the commissioner for police came out and said she should have resisted arrest. And it's like, can you stop? Like, we, we hear it all the time is my point. Like, can you stop putting the responsibility of women's safety on women? It's not our responsibility. It's on the people who are perpetrating the crime. So stop telling women to not go out after dark. Even now the Australian Defence Force lead had said there's like the four A's for all of its service women, not men, women. It was don't go out after dark, don't be attractive, don't drink alcohol. And I can't remember the last one, but it's just stupid. They're like the four A's. If you want to avoid being sexually assaulted, don't be attractive and don't go out after dark. It's What are you talking about? Why are we telling women and putting it on them all of the time to modify their behavior so that perpetrators are less likely to attack them like why doesn't anybody say men are not allowed after dark until you stop attacking women you're on a timeout until you stop attacking women women you have the night (laughs) man
2: don't drink anymore you guys are not allowed to be outside after 8 p.m just give them a night clock like they did to us (laughs) because of covid
1: literally You can't, you can't go out until you stop attacking women and being creeps in bars. You're not allowed in after 9.00 PM. It's not only in bars, like (laughs) don't
2: slide into my DMS and creep on me. Just leave me alone. Like, I, I also think that it's like emotional assault. Like leave me alone. (laughs) Like I didn't ask for your creepy text messages. Like (laughs) leave.
1: I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your story and, and, Um, And I can appreciate how incredibly raw and hard this is for you right now as well. So you've still got this case going on. You're um, on the other side of the world, you're feeling homesick and you're, and you're really starting, I guess now to go through this healing journey. Um, But I appreciate you coming on. What would be a piece of advice that you would give somebody who's in your situation now or, or, or is in a situation similar to you?
2: Don't deny help Accept help from other people. If they really want to help you, then just accept it. Because I've been denying it and, and being independent and trying to do it by myself, but we need other people sometimes. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. I think that
1: is a big big piece of advice I can give. And I think it's a good point as well because I think so many survivors or people I know feel guilty about accepting help or feel bad or feel like they're taking up too much time of their friend's time or something like that. So I think it's, it is just accept the help and accept that the people who love you, you're not a burden on them.
2: And, and it is allowed to say how you really feel instead of I'm feeling great with a stupid smiley face after it. No, I'm not feeling great. And, and thank you for asking me. I'm not feeling great and I need help.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they don't know what to do. And sometimes you don't know either. Sometimes I think it's like we said before, it's just cooking food and making it a safe space or listening or going for a walk with somebody or checking in on them more often than you usually would to make sure that they are okay and letting them know that you're thinking about them.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast and sharing your story. I'm sure that we'll have you um, back on to get an update of how everything goes as well, but Power to you and I think you are an incredibly strong and wonderful woman and I wish you all of the best with with this healing journey I guess that you're on now this is reclaim me this content out. may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners in Australia for national crisis support please contact lifeline on one three one 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 four. 14 for more resources please see the show notes for this episode